Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Seaweed Brain. Today, we have a lovely short set of chapters for you. We'll be talking about Menoides. We'll be talking about Persephone and her garden. It is time for agriculture. It is time for mystery, mystique. <laughs> Feminine wild. It is time for bisexuality. Bisexual chaos. <laughs> Stick around. All right. Hi, everyone. We gave you the overview of what's going to be happening in this episode. It is kind of a lot, but also not that much. And I think we'll we'll be taking a couple of, of tangents and mostly talking about conceptually Persephone and people's different thoughts about her, because this is kind of the first time we're really spending a lot of time with her, and she's interesting, important. First, we should probably turn to um, our special guest for this episode, who everyone should know. Uh, Darian, do you want to um, check in, give updates? Yes. How have you been? Hello. <laughs> I've been well. I'm a special guest now. That is an elevation <laughs> from other guest roles. I, I'm so honored. I'm so delighted. I want to ask, uh, am I the first guest you've had that has had this special <gasps> book? I need to know. Wow. Listeners, oh, wow. Darian just held up the Rainbow Crate Alessia edition mm-hmm. of The Sun and the Star. Mm-hmm. That's right. The glow in the dark one. It glows in the it's dark? It's shiny. Wow. Apparently, oh my it's, God. it's like you need a black light to really be able to see it. But no, yeah. This, who doesn't yeah. have a black light lying around? Am I right? <laughs> it does glow in the dark. <laughs> that edition of the book single-handedly tipped me over the edge in convincing me to get a separate bookshelf just for all of my Riordan and uh, Rick Riordan Presents books. That's so smart because all of my books are on like, I have one shelf with four shelves and all my Riordan books are like too low on it. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to move my Shadow Hunters books. So yeah. uh, that's how I've been doing. I have a very pretty book. <laughs> I reorganized some bookshelves. I ate a ham sandwich for dinner. I'm doing great. Heck yeah. Excellent. We love to hear it. Something that we've been trying out that I think you will enjoy. I think the current iteration is we're going to ask you to say the name of a troglodyte of your choice. Your favorite, perhaps. Right now? Like the second? Right now. Right now. (laughs) No, it's definitely His Majesty. Absolutely. By far. Best trog of them all. Angel. The shy little angel. (laughs) I'm bummed out that I don't get the next chapter in which they have found their true calling, but that's okay. Actually, that's great. That's actually something I wanted to casually mention is that did either of you, I guess question first, either of you listen to the audiobook? No. Are you going to talk about Perkabeth? No, I was <laughs> <laughs> No, I was going to talk about how uh literally Perkabeth Gate. Uh no, I was going to talk about how the audiobook narrator for The Sun and the Star is different than the one who is narrating Trials of Apollo, Tower of Nero, and how they just say Hiss Majesty and Screech Bling in The Sun and the Scar, where the uh, <laughs> narrator for Tower of Nero actually would like go into it and really do that, like, <laughs> bling, <laughs> Majesty. When DJ told me about that, I just thought that was an insult. So, whoa. Yeah. I, I blame the director. I don't blame the actor. I blame the director for not mm. giving them better guidance, essentially. Is what I'm saying. Ultimately, blame yeah. the producers. Blame, I blame always the producers. blame the one with the money. <laughs> Okay, yes, Erica, thank you so much. I blame whoever had the most money. So Disney, I blame Disney, the corporation. There we go. That's a good answer. We've already burned those bridges. <laughs> we will never get to talk about the Percy Jackson TV show in any actual capacity. What was I just editing? Oh, it was Carter during our Little Mermaid episode talking about um, Disney's IP. That's on Patreon. 
you know, only good friends and family are familiar with our opinions about the uh, cultural impacts on creativity and um, reflections on the canon that are created by intellectual property law. And my sister's boyfriend, Dylan, who is our highest paying patron. Hey, <laughs> shout out to Dylan. Thanks, Dylan. Shout out to Dylan. <laughs> I just realized I'm not following y'all. I'm not supporting the Patreon. Don't. That's, no, do I'm not. No, I'm doing it right now. No, I'm doing it right now. I'm doing it right now. I was going to do it. I was going to do it anyway. You do free labor for our podcast. How? Guesting. You're, you're oh, right no, now. <laughs> you're letting me promote my content. Like, that's the trade-off. We at haven't even end, said where Darian is from yet. That's Carter. okay. They, they know. And at the end, I'll tell them again. Muses of Mythology. The Kim Possible podcast. Entering Storybook sometimes. Entering uh, Storybook sometimes. <laughs> oh, Aragon and Back Again is a new one. That was actually really fun. I'll tell you more about that later. <gasps> oh, wow. Okay. I've had friends from college ask me specifically, number one, would you ever consider talking about the Warriors Cats books? And <laughs> number two, would you ever talk about Aragon? Because I think that that is a richer fantasy world. And I was like, um, wow, I have nothing to say about that. But, um, I'm reevaluating our friendship. Yeah, I don't, um, <laughs> I would in fact be willing to talk about the Warriors Cats books because that was like the thing that middle school Darian hyper fixated on to the point where I was involved in a Warrior Cats chat RPG website in which I became a high ranking admin for too long. Oh, absolutely. I was involved in that for too long. That's a that's a good journey. Talking with your like chronically online adult friends is learning about their like early origins of being chronically online mm-hmm. and finding out what very niche website they became a high ranking admin on accidentally in 2012. Oop, no. <laughs> it's always very fun. And now you all know that I'm not cool. But I am a patron of Seaweed Brain, and I will be listening to this Little Mermaid episode. Do I you have an early schedule? Send you five dollars a month to <laughs> counteract, and, I will, and I'll reject it because I can do that. Yeah, we're literally just trading ten dollars around the group chat at this point. This is going all around. But also, no, everybody except for Darian should sign up for our Patreon. It's good content. It's Friday, June thirtieth. You know what that means? I have to pay rent tonight. Rent so. tonight. <laughs> All right. I guess we should dive in. We last left off, actually, with um, a Gorgai recession where we were recounting um, Nico simultaneously coming out to camp and also asking Will out. But before that, in, I guess, the primary timeline, uh, we last left off in Chapter 21, arriving at this farm, Will thinking he saw the Minotaur and finding out that that did not actually happen. And to back this out even a little bit further, what we're doing is we are journeying with the Trogs across the underworld in secret to find um, a shortcut, but first to get something so that we can get to the shortcut and finally enter Tartarus, which we still have not been to yet, Mm -hmm. even though we are the majority of the way through the book at this Mm -hmm. point. So we open chapter 22 by introducing the the bull man who has just charged at us. And it is Menoides. Yay! How do people feel about Menoides? (laughs) High-level thoughts? I would invite... Minoides to my birthday party and we could get brunch maybe a couple times during the summer but they are not someone that I would regularly want to like go rock climbing with I think it's <laughs> too much for the energy I need to be the most in the room at all times and I just I couldn't handle it's like why well, I'm a cat person not a dog person interesting (laughs) the i would like to focus on the italics use of italics in his dialogue Um, (laughs) we are really selling the lgbtq Mm -hmm. through the page here oh the gods definitely answered my prayers today i've been waiting ages for a demigod to show up and now i actually get nico d'angelo so much the most yes that is important context i'll fast up when i first read this character 
Um, that is not how I, I heard the italics in my head. Because we, you know, Menoides tells us about the boyfriend a little bit, like like a chapter or so later than this. And we'll get there. <laughs> um, what, what does it say about Menoides? He's kind of a lot. His, his early reaction is, clearly he likes Nico and is also, um, I think, offended that will doesn't know who he is mm-hmm. i found that very funny this is something that nico <laughs> hasn't told will about him he doesn't assume will should just know him by yes. lore but like nico has never mentioned me not even once are you sure <laughs> he's also not the first person that we've been like oh yeah i work for your father or like oh he works for my father and i think it's really giving nico like prince of hell energy yes. you know because he's like oh yeah you work for my father <laughs> My father will be hearing about this, like, (laughs) Nepo baby down there in the underworld. Oof. Yes. We find out that Nectar and um, Ambrosia is grown here by Menoides, which, wow. I have never thought about this. Mm -hmm. Oh, it surprised Carter, too. Good, good, good. (laughs) It surprised me. I I, thought it was just grown at Camp Hapla. It never occurred to me that, like, Nectar and Ambrosia, yeah, it was like, Mm -hmm. it's like from flowers, right? Like, you just pull it out of... I don't know. It's the nectar of everywhere, right? But no, they're they're like specifically it's sourced from the underworld, and yes, it is true. Will doesn't really have a strong concept for how that can be. He also wait. I'm sorry. I'm just rereading this, and at one point, um, Menowini says the word stop, and it is spelled S T A H P, and it is italicized. So that was on me. That was yeah, on me okay. for not. Mm-hmm. We definitely think Mark wrote this, right? Like we can all agree it had to be Mark. No, I really want to imagine it was Rick. I let me live in the world in which Rick wrote "stop" in italics. But on the topic of the nectar and ambrosia thing, not only I was like, "Oh, it's in the underworld." Okay, interesting, and that's where it's sent to Olympus. All right, sure, they need a lot of it. But there's something Menoides says. Basically, he says something about how it's sent all over the world. That hit me because so I was like. Who else needs nectar and ambrosia except for the demigods at the camps and then the gods on Olympus? Like, who all over the world is using nectar and ambrosia? Rick? Whoa, that's a good catch. Is it colonialism? Who can say? (laughs) (laughs) That's something that my brother DJ has pointed out to me now I look for, is the little stray details that seem like, oh, that's just world building, but like feel weird and are like, Mm. that's something you're going to use in the future. This is the hunters hunting a fox. This is Dionysus getting his like sentence. This is next book nonsense we're going to dig into more. I literally didn't get the fox thread until Carter pointed it out one time and be like, wow, we're really talking a lot about this fox. Mm -hmm. Yes. Wait, can we cite can we cite the whole Menoides being like, um, the world doesn't come to a standstill just because you're demigods. <laughs> Get them. Somebody had to. Somebody had to 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 gather them a bit. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about Menoides' boyfriend now? Because that was a twist I wasn't prepared for. Okay, this is I guess the, the plot relevance of Menoides. We're walking through here and. He stops us to basically create a mini quest. Mm-hmm. Um, he says that he's going to snitch to Hades unless they bring back fruit from Persephone's garden. So that is basically the mini quest that we're going to be talking about in this episode. Um, this is frightening. Um, I think we, based on our priors in the Percy Jackson books, and also with Persephone specifically, are led to believe that Mibe Nico doesn't have like an amazing relationship mm-hmm. with her, doesn't spend a lot of time in that garden. But also, like he has... She did turn him into a dandelion once. She did do that once. Wow, there actually have been multiple Persephone interactions. There was a short story. There was that short thing that happened in the... Uh, last Olympian. Oh my God, in the last Olympian. Mm-hmm. And then there's this. Yeah. Am I missing one? No, that's, no, that's it, the right? three. Those are the three. N- Nico seems to know basically everything else about the underworld much better than um, her garden and his relationship with her. And also had that whole like traumatic experience where he like subsisted for several days off of 
her fruit. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's the setup. And it doesn't seem obvious, but that does tee us into Menowiti's talking about the boyfriend. Because he wants to give his boyfriend <laughs> presents. Nico and Will are a bit gagged. And he's like, wow, are you homophobic? Like, do you? <laughs> it's giving Deadpool 2 vibes. And they're like, whoa, pump the hate breaks, Fox and Friends. I'm just surprised anybody would want to date you. I feel like I know this person. <laughs> wow, are you being homophobic yeah and it's like a very mass presenting gigantic himbo <laughs> wait before that right before the the boyfriend line i have to shout out to 24 nico tried not to groan what is it you want this time menoides me you're asking me he feigned surprise well that's so sweet of you to think of my needs this demon is very dramatic noted scratch bling every day of every year of the last 2700 years said menoides Get used to it. Not get used to it. <laughs> Don't make me I stop my it. fingers in a Z formation head rotation. <laughs> it's giving Sharpay Evans. This is not what I want. This is not what I planned. <laughs> I just got to say, I do not understand. Yeah, it's true. Um, <laughs> I love recording with y'all. I think we have to read a little bit from the from the boyfriend section because I, I find just like these two lines very deeply funny. Um, okay. No, said Menowides. This time his offense didn't seem fake. No, it's for, well, I'd like to share. Share, said Will. With whom? With my boyfriend, he blurted out. Fine, I said it. Are you happy now? Nico and Will looked at each other, shocked. Oh, so you have a problem with a male demon being in a relationship with a male giant? Menowiti scraped the ground with his human foot like he was going to charge them. What? Said Nico. No, it's just, I expected better of you, I guess, Menowiti said. It seems so... Menowiti, calm down, Nico interrupted. I'm gay. <laughs> and I'm bisexual. Will pointed to Nico. He's literally my boyfriend. Oh. <laughs> well, sorry. I get a little defensive sometimes. <laughs> Carter, can you explain the the, the globby bit to, from the other two? The other two is a television show that began on Comedy Central. It is now in its third season that just wrapped up two nights ago last night on uh, HBO Max. Also, it's final season, unfortunately. Wait, Aww. what? It got canceled? Oh, you didn't hear about this specifically because of issues with the show's creators. Oh, yeah. Tina Fey was, like, shading them. I didn't realize that that was the context for that. Oof. Um, the show's really good. I'm sorry. I don't know the tea about... I don't know the detailed tea about the creators, but... Everyone should watch it because my friend is in an episode in the third season. Yay! Immaculate. <laughs> yes. It's, like, a little bit niche entertainment industry stuff, but it's also not. And they have an episode in the third season that is entirely about um, Carrie, the um, actor character on his quest to fame getting the role as the voice actor for the first ever openly gay uh disney character which you might remember we've had the first openly gay disney animated character maybe (laughs) six or seven times now Mm -hmm. um and every time we're like oh so they like they're like dance in a corner next to a man once okay or like oh (laughs) she like has short hair and like an earring on only one ear Okay. And it's like somebody who has one line and the one line is like, oh, mom, you're so traditional. You know, and like the episode is just about that. He plays Globby, <laughs> soon to be queer icon Globby, who is a glob introduced into the third instantiation of a Disney animated franchise. And Globby is an out and proud homosexual piece of goo. He is a male go- piece of goo who dates other no. male goo. 
and is unapologetically in bed with another piece of goo and you know that it's gay even though they're both goo and the other goo doesn't have any lines because if globby were heterosexual he would need to be in bed with a human woman but because he's homosexual he's in bed with another male glob if he wasn't homosexual globby would be in bed with a human woman it's the funniest thing i've ever heard in my life this line is repeated by like 10 different people the magic of the episode is hearing this from like a dumb straight male white executive in a disney boardroom and then eventually hearing it repeated by the main character in a screening to the westboro baptist church and also glad and being like yeah i mean everyone knows that heterosexual globs are in love with human women. (laughs) (laughs) It's also making me think of that Toy Story tweet that went viral that was like, oh, Elemental has the first non-binary character in a Pixar movie, then explain this icon, and it's just like the creature that's like the Barbie legs with the crane. (laughs) That was always my favorite one. (laughs) Yes! Barbie legs with the crane extension. Sid? Sid was actually a visionary. I think we need to re- examine Mm -hmm. the narrative of the first movie because maybe Sid was just a deconstructivist early career non-binary person. Mm -hmm. Let's have that conversation. Wow. Tangent. (laughs) This brings us back to Menoides, who is homosexual because if Menoides were heterosexual, he would be in bed with a human woman. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But he's not in bed with a human woman. He's dating. Garion. Garion. Gasp. Garion, you mean the three-torsoed person who runs the ranch and got killed by Hercules and uh, was in the Battle of the Labyrinth and that threw all three of his torsos with one arrow? After um, praying to Apollo? After praying to Apollo, but, but being answered by Hera? The, whole time. <laughs> the very same. You might also remember that Nico was there. Nico did actually meet Gary, and he was on the dude ranch and a prisoner mm-hmm. who was about to be sold to Kronos' army against his will as a slave by Gary <laughs> before Percy um, killed him and saved Nico against Nico's wishes. Aw. Nico's a little shocked, but um, turns out he's changed. So we hear. Is that perhaps a theme of this book? I don't know. Okay, listen. We don't even see the guy. Which is like probably fine, but also weird how much he insists that Garion changes. It was giving like low budget or like the actor had a conflict on another set and he could not <laughs> be here. So we just had to like speak be about ready. him as if he was here. Yeah. When Disney Plus gets to this in 2035, they will not have to track down the actor who played Garion. No, it won't have to. It's going to be so much longer than 2035, Carter. I'm sorry. That was very optimistic in like 2042. <laughs> they should be animated. Um minor jump ahead spoilers so if any listeners following on chapter by chapter uh bear with me he doesn't even show up when they come back with the fruits like i was shocked I'm like yeah. why did we spend so much time talking Garion does not receive his gift yeah what was it because they couldn't figure out whether or not he'd apologize to nico or whether or not that would feel sincere and like worthwhile like what the interaction with nico would look like specifically it was just weird that the boyfriend is not just some random like i have a boyfriend it's this character you've never met before it's someone we know that's supposedly changed, aka theme of the book, as Erica just said, and yet we don't get to see them. So it's almost like, hey, Manides, are you sure your boyfriend changed? Or are you a people pleaser who lets people kind of get away with their terrible <laughs> things because they say they're working on themselves and you just have to put up with it and be insistent that, no, 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 they're changed. They're better now. They're doing so good. Well, you buy them all the presents they want. Wow. 
we aren't believing in Gary and changing, huh? Do we maybe need to read the book <laughs> again so that we can all <laughs> believe that people are capable of changing I, I and trying and reaching across <laughs> difference in romantic relationships? Okay. But you know what? On the regards, people can change. You know the examples that Will cites to Nico about when Nico's not sure about this whole change thing? He cites Ethan and Luke. Yeah, I was going to be like, mm, one of those examples is better than the other. Yeah, but also, <laughs> I would put both of them in the same camp of making one good decision and then immediately dying. And then immediately dying. Because you didn't want to participate in destroying civilization anymore is not actual change. Because change takes yeah. time and effort, not a snap <gasps> decision. Darth Vader cop out. This is some Darth Vader <laughs> redemption bullshit, and I'm so over it. I blame George Lucas. It is, yeah, George Lucas's fault. I think. Wow, I've never thought about that before. Mm-hmm. We had this. This is on our podcast. What podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> Where did we leave off with this? We're like walking with Menoides. Menoides is going to like show us a shortcut there. Um, we're walking over. I think we're having a little bit of conversations about Will being like, "Wow, maybe I mis misunderstood the underworld. Maybe I need to be more grateful for the magical things." That come from here. Like nectar and ambrosia. Okay. <laughs> and more sure, importantly, good. we yes. need to have a conversation with Chiron mm. when we get back. Why? About not taking nectar and ambrosia for granted. And this actually warms Nico's heart. Because the way to a brooding emo's heart is really discussing meaningful systemic change. Yes. So real. Which is, yes. All true. Love it all. Love it all. Their nectar and ambrosia specifically comes from Camp Half-Blood, where it is locally sourced. Well, not according to Menowedes. No, he actually says that. He says that the ones at Camp Half-Blood are probably like the dryads of Camp Half-Blood, probably like what they use at the camp is like harvested and grown by the dryads. The ones in the underworld go other places. So that's, that's why Will never really wondered where it came from because it's the one they use there is from them. So I don't really understand mm. why they have to have a conversation about it with Chiron because... Because we're expanding our knowledge. I mean, that's good. Okay. Yeah. I like we're going to have emotional human class on how to feel human emotions. And we're going to have world mythological horticulture class as well. Yeah. Okay. Sure. That sounds good to me. I don't know it. The prices of commodities on a global market are all um, mutually decided. Mm. So the production of the dryads at Camp Half-Blood affects Menoides' livelihood. And so in that respect, I think it is worth having the conversation with Chiron. Something, something, NAFTA. Okay, but if we have the dryads stop producing, like, we just put the dryads <laughs> out of work then for Menoides? No, maybe. I don't know. Do the dryads actually need to be working? I think, I think, yeah. I think we should just print more money. <laughs> What's important is that Will's eyes are sparkling. Yes, they are. Because you know what? Nico, it was constantly amazed at how powerful it felt to have someone by his side who believed in him. We just spoke about this last episode, the importance of expanding and deepening the light hair, dark hair trope into something more along the lines of vulnerable and unvulnerable. I love it. Traumatized, slightly less traumatized. Unwavering belief in hope and love. Unwavering trauma. Oop. <laughs> Let's take a quick break um, before we ride these donkeys into Persephone's garden. We are back. We rode the donkeys. We're at Persephone's garden. This is the first time Will is seeing Hades' palace up close. Mm-hmm. We don't actually get that much commentary about this. Though. This doesn't seem like it's necessarily, at first, a huge sight of Will being like, oh my god, the underworld is terrible. Again, because Persephone is here. Plan immediately derailed. 
What are we going to do? Wait, um, before Persephone's here, can we talk about Nico pulling a finger bone out of his pocket like Nina Zenik and shaping it into a key? That's a cool new power. Skeleton key. It is cool. Skeleton key. <laughs> I actually love that. And I wanted to like note on that just a second how Will mentions that he's like, I'm not yet used to that thing. But he's not like weird or creeped out about it. He just says, yeah, everybody needs a hobby. And I think that says a lot because I feel like like the book itself, but also like fandom commentary on the book is like, wow, Will's so like closed minded and not understanding at all about the underworld and where Nico comes from. And that's just so terrible of him. And like he just doesn't wait. Get people it. are saying that who aren't just us <laughs> <laughs> all the time. That's the only commentary post I see. About oh, my God. I've seen none of that. That's so interesting. I see a lot of Tumblr posts. Oh, uh... but. I get that's what the book wants us to feel, but I also feel like it's sometimes like not fair, especially when this moment where Nico literally pulled a finger bone out of his pocket and was like, yep, that's my boyfriend. He has bones. <laughs> and then simultaneously seeming to forget that being in the underworld is literally killing Will. Just standing in here is literally like killing him. He's dying. So yeah, maybe he's allowed to be a little bit like hey, about this place that literally wants to kill him in a way that it doesn't necessarily seem to affect Nico at all, or like even Percy and Annabeth when they were in Tartarus. Readers will never cease to read completely different books. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Will's on a journey. The whole point is that Will is trying. He's always trying. Whether or not Carter is willing to accept that trying is a separate matter completely. <gasps> You've never liked Will. I've listened to every episode no, of Seaweed. Will Ray. is trying. What if we dyed Will's hair like pink or something? Would you be more into him then? That's a lot of trying. See, that's 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 part of the journey. <laughs> that's the trying that matters. <laughs> anyway, we're here. Skeleton key. Persephone's in the garden. Erica, will you be Will? Carter, will you read for Nico? You don't want to be Will, Darian? Oh, I didn't know I could participate. Is You're welcome. Well, only if you want to. I would love to. Do it. Okay. Somebody has to narrate. There's narration and then there's two characters. Carter is narrating and being Nico. Okay. What are you doing then? <laughs> Listening. Okay. <laughs> oh, no. None of them were as beautiful as the woman standing tending the azure roses in the center of the garden. Persephone's peach-colored dress shimmered in the light, the fabric stitched with tiny green vines that flowed and spiraled down her sleeves. Her dark brown hair framed a face so soft and gentle that the roses seemed to bend towards her, aching for contact. The stories about Persephone's beauty did not do her justice. As the goddess drifted deeper into her garden, Will managed to peel himself away and turn back to Nico. You okay? Whispered Nico. I know it's hard to see her for the first time. She's the most gorgeous person I've ever seen. Calm down, Nightlight. What? I'm not wrong. I didn't say you were. Are you jealous that I find her attractive? Ew, no, Will. I'm trying not to be weirded out because that's my stepmother. Right, sorry. But uh, yes, you're correct. She's stunning. I guess I'm just used to it by now. We're told of her beauty, but that's nothing compared to actually seeing it. Okay, okay. Enough of your bisexual chaos for the moment. We have to figure out how to get past her and pick some fruit without getting caught. See, I feel like I didn't do the reading for Will Justice because I am, in fact, a sapphic asexual. So my breed of chaos is different. So I want to apologize to our truly catechosexual <laughs> listeners out there. I know. No, I know. It's not the experience I can fully embody. But Erica, thank you for letting me be Will. That was a delight. I think that the listeners get enough of me being Will every day all the time. <laughs> I thought this was effing hilarious. I, I oh, I love this. I didn't like this, but I loved this section and this well, whole chapter. 
This is that was. It's oh, very funny. Great, that was so fun. I think a lot of people out there. I don't know. I don't know the right way to phrase this that completely parameterizes my thoughts in a neat and clean way. I think a lot of people don't really understand male bisexuality mm. in a um, in a real way. And I feel like this is correct. I feel like this depiction, what we were getting here, I'm like, yeah, that checks out. And I don't think that I don't think that this is bad. <laughs> this is he's he's living his life. He's being his 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 him, you know? Mm-hmm. And I like <laughs> How often do two characters mention like being gay or bisexual and then Nico just calling Will out for bringing bisexual chaos to a very serious situation because that feels real to queer relationships, be they romantic or platonic. Mm -hmm. Like you are going to call your your loved ones out for their queer nonsense because, you know, they will call you out for your own. Yeah. Is guys is Will surprised that like flowers like grow in the underworld? Where there's no sun? Oh, yeah, he is. Yes! Yeah. Is Nico giving Will the same look he's been giving Will for the last 235 pages of vague annoyance? Yes. We just did a reading, so probably we shouldn't read this too. But yeah, so this, this thing that he's saying about Persephone and the beauty of the garden dovetails, I think, really cleanly into this next conversation that is both about Nico trying to acknowledge but also brush past his trauma and his past experiences in Tartarus and Will being like, no, that's important. That's good. You need to be proud mm-hmm. of this and, you know, have us all celebrate your tenacity and your survival, but also a little bit undercutting that by being like, oh, wow, it's terrible down here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really just encapsulating everything very perfectly. <laughs> For whatever reason, Nico's hand, like, can't grasp onto the pomegranate. Maybe Will surmises because Nico was never a potential victim of the underworld, so only Will mm-hmm. is able to pluck them. Anyway, Will does pluck them and stuff them into his cargo shorts, which for the first time are coming in handy. And Yay! I just, I love that when we get the same set of chapters in which Will gets announced formally bisexual um, is mm-hmm. when the cargo shorts finally come in handy. Ha! I don't want to explain. It, there's a correlation. There's a correlation. You know, you know. When you self-actualize, you self-actualize in all directions, you know? I love that <laughs> thing about the pomegranate. Like the fact that it is like essentially the angler fish's lights luring in prey <gasps> and it will not bother with Nico because Nico is not its prey. I also like that this is something Will had to help with. Yes. Like Nico would not have been able to accomplish yeah. the side task if Will was not here. That's such a good point. And it's a new way of experiencing the underworld that Will alone has access to, that Nico is getting to see and have sort of a conduit through it's an interesting dynamic so will will gets in there grabs the pomegranate grabs several pomegranates grabs three mm-hmm. to be precise but then <gasps> gasp it was her dun, dun, dun. so in case we haven't made this clear this chapter has been in will's perspective it's been a little bit of a shaft and the next chapter is all also in will's perspective and that's going to be extra important because at this point nico is like frozen and we are having an interaction just between will and persephone Yes. Wow. Two bisexuals communicating with one another. This is fascinating. Nico and Hades here in this conversation is being used to parallel the relationship between Will and Persephone. 
Who else? What is the other couple that fits this 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 set of parallels that we're trying to draw here? Is this time for the Hades Town cut in? Because similarly, like Will in his conversation with Persephone, he is like, "You, I need to get relationship advice from you because you're, the relationship that the two of you have has something to say about my relationship with Nico." And we've also been talking about their relationship in comparison to Orpheus and Eurydice's story. And mm-hmm. what? Modern American classic that is delving into both the stories of Orpheus and Eurydice and Hades and Persephone. It's Hades Town. Yeah. It's beautiful that this is like the inverse of that because in Hades Town, the love of Orpheus and Eurydice inspires and saves the love of Persephone and Hades. Mm-hmm. And in this iteration, the love of Persephone's and Hades inspires and gives Will like a pathway forward into his relationship with Nico. All of these relationships are the stories of these relationships are about the insecurities and the doubts mm-hmm. that we feel um, hindering our ability to love openly and freely. Yeah. It's so interesting. I would never have guessed that Will and Persephone were going to have a conversation in this book. Not no, once, not even never would have anticipated it. Mm-hmm. No. And she's just so good. Oh finally. My God, finally. We have met Persephone oh. three times. And every time I just want to scream just a little bit because the first time she's just so stoic and manipulative, but she also keeps calling Hades my lord. And I don't love the vibe. And then the second time is Last Olympian where she's just so ditzy and uninterested and just whatever. And then finally we have a goddess. This is a goddess goddess who is self-actualized she's a full character she's funny and she's interesting and she's scary and And she is exactly as sapphic as i always knew she was yes if Mm -hmm. that makes sense oh yes i felt it i saw it yeah i love that she razzes will with this back and forth of her being like, oh, am I not allowed to talk to you? Yeah, you can talk to me. Oh, now you're telling me what I can do in my own garden? And Will's just like, I'm about to die. I'm, I'm about to, she's going to turn me into a dandelion and she's going to crush me into dandelion ice cream. Like, I'm dead. <laughs> the, bisexual bo- the bisexual boy was too stunned to speak. The bisexual yes, boy yes. scared. <laughs> <laughs> the bisexual boy was scared. Taylor's all this time. Taylor's all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so but then she like laughs and she's like, nah, it's, it's, I'm, I'm fucking with you, kid. It's fine. Hey, come sit with me for a minute. Let's talk. What the fuck are you doing down here? Yeah, let me give you a beautiful metaphor and really ultimately talk about how love is a difficult choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like briefly acknowledge a romantic people exist. Now we move on. Make a lot of metaphors about love being like cultivating a garden. Friendships, romantic relationships. Maybe you don't choose to fall in love, but you choose to keep it. And her being like, oh, Hades kidnapped me, blah, blah, blah. I'm in love. Maybe our situations are slightly different. Don't you worry about that. It's like, listen, 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 listen. It was the ancient times. Stories were written by men. <laughs> do as I say, not as I do. Yeah, she said, don't, don't, don't date somebody who kidnaps you. But. <laughs> because beyond that, though, I had to reconsider everything I believed about light and dark, about life and death. He has all those things within him, just like his father. It took me too long to see it because I was blinded by jealousy. A god or demigod so surrounded by death, they seem to appreciate life more than anyone else. They understand it, even if they don't always drift toward it. And we're right back at the interracial dating of it all. (laughs) Having to reconsider everything. I 
really like this conversation. Me too. This conversation is tight. Tight. It's well written. Persephone is dropping wisdom with efficiency. Mm-hmm. Yes. Said, loaded, packed, visually stunning. Leading all the way up to will talking about how like he he loves nico but it's it's hard i want the best for him and he seems to disappear into his darkness like he's hiding in a place where he doesn't want my lights then why not offer him your darkness wow that really resonated with me helping someone who's been through trauma and is in like a dark place isn't always about being like a sunshine nightlight guiding them on the path sometimes it's about sitting in the shadows with them and just letting them know they're not alone. And also that like this relationship is not just about Nico being annoyed at Will and Will trying to like walk on eggshells around Nico, you know, and Nico doing all this internal work. Like in order to make this Mm -hmm. relationship function, Will has to seriously break out of his comfort zone too. Absolutely. Not just in the sense of going to Tartarus, which obviously he's doing, but I mean, emotionally, yes, <laughs> he needs to embrace different sides of himself and not just like inundate Nico with positivity all the time. Yeah. Because that's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Not every healing journey is like linear. Yeah. The fact that he talks about like thinking like he was slightly ashamed for not having considered meeting Nico on his own level before. He also literally like admits he hasn't considered before that there is a darkness within him. Because he is the child of Apollo. Yeah. And Persephone says, of course, Mm -hmm. everybody, let's chant it together. There cannot be light without darkness, nor darkness without light. You must have the contrast for both to exist. Should we think about the title of this book? Mm -hmm. Shall we think about the trope of the light-haired and the dark-haired one and the sunbursts (laughs) and the celestial bodies orbiting one another? And about nemesis and balance. Oh, nemesis. God, this book so has so many interwoven threads. It's so masterfully done. It's really well done. So well done. I love Persephone just basically sitting well down and saying, I know you love my stepson, but my boy, you need to do some shadow work now. Yeah. That was the dynamic that I think was most surprising. That Persephone not just would show up, but would show up to do sort of like the family interrogation on behalf of Nico to like yes. appear and drop wisdom in a way that reflects her understanding Nico and understanding at some level what's going mm-hmm. on and intervening to make things not easier, but clearer and to help illuminate what they can do to, to make this work. I, I think that this is perhaps in my mind, a little bit of Rick doing penance for the way that, Demeter was written the way that Hera was written, kind of the way Aphrodite Mm -hmm. was written. Amphitrite. Amphitrite, yes. The Mm -hmm. idea that people can transcend jealousy, Mm -hmm. that that, like Persephone, someone who is like Hades' wife, who is relatively like young as much as a god or goddess can be young. Mm -hmm. Somebody who is associated with springtime and flowers and things that are often seen as trivial or decorative or auxiliary mm-hmm. she's a source of wisdom and she's kind of in this book one of the most grounding powerful intimidating but ultimately helpful presences that we have and kind of flips mm-hmm. the switch for interpreting I- this relationship and the way that things are going to progress i love it so much because it is in this what persephone is functioning as here is not goddess of spring but queen of the underworld yeah and I like that so much because while Persephone is still goddess of spring, her returning to, you know, the the mortal world is what brings back spring and in summer and everything and her leaving is fall and winter. 
But I think this is Rick actually being like, right, but Persephone means the destroyer. And it is in the act of her being taken to the underworld in the myth where she is transformed from Kor, the girl, the maiden, into Persephone, the queen. And that is something that I think isn't explored enough in Persephone narratives, or at least hasn't been up to this point. Like Laura Olympus, big example of a really great Persephone Hades narrative and a book coming out this month, probably. I don't know when this episode comes out, but uh, Girl Goddess Queen is literally about Persephone becoming the queen of the underworld. And so I like seeing Persephone here. And then the role of like stepmom. I think, like you said, Carter, Rick doing penance for the goddesses all just being jealous of the demigod children and hating them out of principle. And Persephone being like calling Nico like her stepson and creating that familial bond and doing what you said, like the family interrogation, like talking to Will, sitting him down. It's beautiful and it's heartwarming and it's real and i like persephone a lot in mythology so i just i was jazzed to finally see her done well in like one of my favorite book series yeah she's such a special figure in mythology for young girls to latch on to yeah because she she doesn't do much for real like she gets kidnapped and doesn't do anything there eats the pomegranate seeds like that was not even a willing choice she makes in myth she's just hungry mm-hmm. or it's absent-minded like she eats them she does it in traditional story she doesn't choose to eat them to stay it just happens to her the only like two things persephone does in myth is okay like one time she fights with aphrodite over adonis whatever whatever <laughs> whatever men wrote that obviously but she convinces hades to let Orpheus try to rescue Eurydice. And one time she does murder one of the underworld nymphs because she was trying to get with Hades. And she was like, none of that. <laughs> it's the story of Minthi. It's why we have mints. But there's not a lot to pull from to create a fully realized character. So I can't, I guess I can't blame Rick in early books for the versions of her we got. But I'm so glad that we're stepping into it where it's you can have fully realized characters, especially when she is meant to function as Queen of the Underworld, as yeah wisdom giver as stepmom yeah and it's good i think this is i I thank you so much for letting me be on this section because this is for real my favorite chapter of the whole book yeah it's an important one this was for me also one of the most memorable ones because of how much wisdom is delivered in such a compact way and how much of it feels fresh to me i don't Mm -hmm. know like uh, her delivery i think in my mind stands alone from a lot of things that you would see about whatever like the Mm -hmm. the blonde and the brunette (laughs) yeah it's you know yeah and we love that (laughs) yeah you're absolutely right carter it is it's special it's 244 i cannot tell you how to love someone will for the first time persephone sounded sympathetic but as i said before it is a difficult choice you have to choose to continue loving someone feelings aren't enough that's a lot to think about he said sheepishly what if i'm not ready I can answer that with a question. Do you understand, Nico? He gazed into Persephone's eyes, then looked back to Nico, who was still frozen. Not completely, said Will, turning back to Persephone. I've never met anyone like him, but I want to understand him. The goddess of springtime smiled, and Will felt like the sun was beaming down on him. You and Nico will make a fine couple, she said, as long as you keep trying to understand. (laughs) <laughs> that's so good Aww. and 
I really like how the, the fact they like trying to understand and meet each other on their level. And it's not Persephone saying, well, relationships just take work and you got to be willing to like work hard and dig. She's like, it's more concrete than just relationships take work. It's that you have to understand and choose. And that I feel is like more practical than just the generic relationships are hard. Yeah. Yeah. Feelings aren't enough. And that's like, again, another beauty of this book is that we're not just seeing like these two people falling in love with one another, but we're mm-hmm. seeing them like a real relationship. That is specific. Like, it's not just mm-hmm. that they're in love and they're going on dates. Like, they are literally, even though this is a book for eight-year-olds, they are committing to one another. <laughs> they are in a, Will is having to choose, as is Nico, to make the choice to stay in a committed relationship, mm-hmm. which like Persephone said, is a choice. And it's not just about having feelings. It's yeah. about doing hard work and being vulnerable because you want to have this deeper level of connection with somebody. I love it. Mm-hmm. And safety and, and trust and new experiences. Yeah. And growth. And growth. Together. Together. That's what's important. And then she gives him the pomegranates. He tries to give them back. He's like, sorry for stealing them. She's like, nah, they're a gift from me, kid. Let's just keep this little interaction between us. That is so your boyfriend's cool stepmom of her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nico unfreezes, and as they ride their donkeys back off to meet Menwides, he hears those words like echoing in his head, offer him your darkness. Offer him your darkness. Yes. There's also a beautiful floral metaphor of the Night Blooming series, which yeah. is... <gasps> A very important flower in our very upbringing. Very important flower in our upbringing. <laughs> they grow in Hawaii. Oh, I was going to ask, please tell. They grow along the wall of the school that we went to. And they bloom, at, you know, as, as she says, like in the night, very rarely. They're surrounded by spikes, but they're so beautiful. Aw, um, <laughs> that's wonderful. Yeah. They're kind of chonky monsters. <laughs> but they are undeniably stunning. Love that. But like not in a fragile way. All right. Any other final thoughts on this most beautiful section? Nah. I said a lot of things. I'm, I'm jazzed. It. Nice. <laughs> it's beautiful. I love the combo today. The one-two punch of Menoides, my favorite character, and then Persephone's, as of late, my favorite goddess. Mm-hmm. She is truly great. Aren't we just so lucky to have had Darian join us this evening? Aww. After a double work shift day, Darian, tell the people where they can find you on the internet. I would love to. Well, listener, you've probably heard me before if you've listened to the rest of the Seaweed Brain catalog. But just in case, let's say you're just starting on the sun and the star. An excellent choice, to be honest. You can find me over at Muses of Mythology, where I co-host that show with my brother, DJ. We talk about how ancient myths have remained part of our modern pop culture through the lens of Rick Riordan, Percy Jackson, and the Olympian series. It's not that scary. It's, it's a lot like this, except... You know, my brother's a cishet person, and I, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> so if you need your host to be both 100% queer, you can co- check out my other show. <laughs> it's called Aragon and Back Again, and I host it with my roommate, Lucia Hart, who is a chaotic bisexual. And we talk about Christopher Paolini's Inheritance Cycle, one chapter at a time. It is spoiler-free, so if you've never read the books... It's a safe show for you to get into. Uh, we are examining it through the lens of professional writers, really digging into the mechanics of what makes it work. The best part is Lucy loves high fantasy, and I think I hate it. So there is a good energy <laughs> for everyone. That is so real, Darian. Thank you for voicing that. <laughs> also, you can find me on a Kim Possible podcast with 
past and future guest uh, Robert Gamer. Guest on the next episode of this podcast, in fact. Yes. (laughs) And then catch me with Erica and Carter sometimes on Entering Storybook, where we talk about Once Upon a Time, a show that we all might actually hate. (laughs) (laughs) But it was important to us. It was important to us at one time. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Darian. Make sure you check out Darian at all of those places. So much wonderful content. And it's true. We will have Robert next week. And we are falling into Tartarus. So it's happening. Get ready, everybody. Stream Vampire by Olivia Rodrigo. Hmm. 20-something-year-old teenagers. We are so back. Let's go.